Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Amen. Father, I'm asking that your people would hear your voice today and not mine. Let your word shape us, change us, and mold us like only you can. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome once again uh, to everybody watching online. We're thrilled that you are a part of today's service. If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter number 5. 2 Kings chapter number 5. Start somewhere around verse number 8. Somewhere around verse number 8. There was a guy named Naaman, and he was the captain of the hosts uh, for the king of Syria. And the king of Syria wrote the king of Israel letter because Naaman, the captain of the host, he was a leper. He had leprosy. And so the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, uh, uh, can you please heal the captain of my army? I don't know about you, but I like the idea of the kingdom of God. I like the idea of the kingdom of God being known for a place where you can get healed. So clearly, uh, the God of Israel is the God of healing. Can you say amen to that? So he writes this letter, and the king of Israel kind of loses his mind because he's all scared that um, you know he's not going to be able to heal Naaman, and then the king of Syria might want to make war with him because he couldn't heal the captain of his army. But Elisha, the prophet of God, hears about it, and he says this, uh, in verse number 8 is where we pick up. It was so when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes and was worried, effectively he was worried that the king of Syria was going to come after him if he couldn't heal Naaman, he, he sent to the king saying, wherefore have you rent your clothes? He said, let him, speaking of Naaman, let him now uh, come now to me and he shall now... And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He said, look here. He said, you don't have anything to be worried about. All you got to do is get Naaman to me. Because there is a place of blessing. Somebody say a place of blessing. I'm continuing on the topic of, of how to keep your faith in unstable times. One of the things you have to understand is there is a place of blessing. There's a place of healing. And that place... Is, is not necessarily the same for every person. So if you lived in Anchorage, Alaska, and you could get to a local church, you should find you a local church. And you should find one that teaches the Bible, that believes the Word of God, that worships God in spirit and truth, and you should be in that place because you find that place, it's going to be a place of blessing for you. It's not the same for every single person. But when, when you find the place of blessing, you ought to never let anything knock you away from it. Who in here has been in church for more than 20 years? Just wave at me. Who in here has been in church more than 30 years? Wave at me. My God, who in here has been in church more than 40 years? Wave at me. If you've been in church for more than 45 years, stand to your feet. You may be seated. Every person standing has had a reason to leave God. Every person that we just asked to stand has had 
enough knives stuck in their back in church that they probably have a full tilt cutlery in their kitchen. But somewhere along the way, and if we're really honest, probably several times along the way, they decided, I'm not going to leave the place of blessing. I'm not going to leave the place where my healing has flowed before. You say, well, how do you know healing's coming? Because the water has been troubled before. See, there was a guy in the, in the New Testament and he, he came to a pool called the Pool of Bethesda and he was waiting on the waters to be troubled. And the reason that the waters were troubled is because an angel would come and stir the water up and whoever jumped in the water first would be healed. So all the people that needed healing would go to that place where they knew healing had happened before. And they didn't know when the angel was going to trouble the water, but they knew because it had happened one time, it can happen again. You can't ever let yourself get... If you're going to keep faith in unstable times, you can't let yourself get knocked away from the place of blessing in your life. Can you say amen to that? Naaman came with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan, in the river, the Jordan River, seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you, and you shall be clean." But Naaman was angry, he was wroth, he was angry, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely came, I, I, I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Did you hear him say, you know, he would call on his God? Isn't it interesting how everybody else wants to tell us how to serve our God? Isn't it interesting how everybody's all well and good until we decide we don't want to worship that way. We want to worship the way the Bible says. Isn't it interesting that everybody else, isn't it interesting that broke people want to tell you how to handle your money? Isn't it interesting that the person that's been divorced 763 times wants to counsel you on what you should be saying to your husband or wife? Is this too much, Jake? I just feel like... Should I go back to Florida? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that, that everybody who's not involved wants to tell you what you should do? Let me tell you how you need to raise your kid. Well, when you feed them at night at two o'clock in the morning, praise the Lord, you can have some input. I'm not talking about we're not closed off and closed-minded. We want to hear wisdom. We want to hear information. But at the exact same time, the moment that Naaman said his God or your God, that means I don't. Need, there's nothing about the things of God that I need to listen to you about. I have a friend of mine, still a friend of mine to this day, and he came to our church a few times, and he was just like, man, this is just so amazing. Man, your words are so powerful. I was like, thanks, man. He goes, no, no, really. Like, they, like, they hit me different. I'm like, yeah, it's called the Bible. Kind of does that. He came to church one day, and there was, a, you know, it was one of those services, and people were speaking in tongues. One of those services. So he called me the next day. He goes, hey, you know, I just got to tell you, man, I love your church. I said, cool. Love the way you preach. I said, cool. Y'all's music is good. I said, cool. He goes, and I don't know the Bible that well. That's so what he said to me. I don't know the Bible that well, but that whole tongues thing's just too much for me. I said, well, what else do you want to tear out? 
He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you just said you don't know the Bible that well. If I'm not a mechanic, are you going to take advice from me on how to fix your car? He goes, well, well, no. I said, okay. I said, I said if, if I'm not a cowboy, do you want to hear how I teach how to ride horses? He goes, no. I said, well, then why do you feel validated to have an opinion on something that you don't have any knowledge about? I said, sooner or later, you're going to have to relink. The starting point for a foundation is to scrape off all the instability and say, what, what is here is not strong enough to build on. We need to scrape this off and we need to effectively what a concrete slab becomes is we need to put a big rock right here to start with and then we can build up. So the first thing you got to do as a believer, especially if you're new to things, you're new to the idea of, of living for God. And I don't mean just on Sunday. I'm talking about living for God is the first thing you got to do is you got to put everything on the chopping block that somebody has ever said to you just in case it does not line up with the word of God. You got to scrape all that stuff away and say, well, maybe some of it's good. I don't know. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, I got to get rid of it because I want to build my life on a rock. I want to build my life on the rock that doesn't fail when the winds of life blow. So what happens is, is if you're going to keep faith in unstable times, you got to know where to seek counsel. Just because they sat next to you at the office, just because their office is next door to yours doesn't necessarily mean you should be taking their advice. Just because you guys go to the same uh, uh, fitness class doesn't mean you should be taking advice. Somebody says to you, you know, can I just give you an opinion, you know, like some information about marriage? The first question you should ask is, how long have you been married? Do you guys love God? Do you serve God? Are you committed to the house of God? If those answers are no, then you can just respectfully say, I love you, but no thanks. In other words, either get in the kingdom or get in the world, but stop having one foot in each. It doesn't do you any good. You just, just you, you, do, you do just as well to jump over in the world and just live it up. Because one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world gets you neither. But when you decide to go all the way and say, I'm going to serve God with every fiber of my being, and I am now convinced that his Bible is right, even when I don't know what it says in that area. I've already decided I will change my opinion to believe what the Bible says as opposed to holding on to my opinion until until my knuckles are cramped. So he came with his horses in his chariot and he stood out and he was so upset. He said, I thought surely he was going to come out. The Bible says, and strike his hand over the place. One translation says, and like wave his hand over the place. Like Naaman was expecting a magician. Naaman was expecting some sort of potion. Because when the world thinks supernatural, most of the time they think spectacular. But sometimes the greatest supernatural event that ever happens in your life, the world can't even see it. When you got born again, your clothes didn't change instantly. Everything about you was different, but if the world wanted to, they could say, you look just the same. Because the supernatural is not always spectacular. 
Sometimes it is. Sometimes uh, the Spirit of God just does things that are amazing, signs and wonders. But the supernatural does not have to be spectacular for it to be effective. Well, I thought surely you were going to come and like wave your hand over the spot, you know. I thought surely you were going to come out and, you know, say these, you know, certain words and, you know, call on your God. And, you know, I tell you what, you just got me upset. See, what happens is when, when, when you and me decide to tell God how to do it, <laughs> we, instead of believing God he's going to do it, we start telling him how to do it. Now, all of a sudden, we get out of faith when the reality is we started acting like God works for us. See, Naaman walked up and thought the man of God worked for him. That's why a lot of churches fail. Because people come to church and they think the man or woman of God works for them. Getting quiet in here, Jake. They walk in, they think, you know, if you've ever sent me this, I'm not pointing you out. Just, Just deal with it. I'm not pointing you out. I'm not. I'll look up when I say it. But if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me what I needed to be preaching. You know what you should really share on? It's really been in my spirit. I think you should share on it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just talk to God about it then. See, what happens is, is when we think that the anointing works for us. We miss the simplicity of the delivery. Do you remember when, when Noah came off the boat after he had rescued his whole family? 40 days and 40 nights it had rained. They were on the boat a lot longer than that. They come off. He drinks some grape juice. The grape juice had fermented. He gets drunk. He passes out naked in his tent. And one of his sons walks in, sees his dad laying there naked and immediately runs, off, runs out and starts running his mouth. Then what happens next is the other two brothers hear it and they take a a, a cloth and they walk backwards and they cover their dad's flesh because believe it or not, everybody still has some flesh. Resurrects every day. That's why you have to crucify it every day. So one brother sees the flesh and starts running and talking about it because here's what happens. When you've been in a boat with somebody for 40 days and 40 nights, then you got to stay out there for several months after that while the water resides. You get to know somebody and you start to get real familiar with what God ordained. And the moment you get familiar with what God ordained is the moment that you see flesh when everybody else sees the anointing. I've served men of God my whole life. I've served men of God my whole life. I've heard things said that I'll never repeat and I will die knowing them. I've seen things happen. I've been in meetings where if he would have let me, I would have thrown everybody out of the church and we could have just started over. But instead he said, no, See, I saw men of God like this. Just like Moses said, well, if you throw them out, then throw me out too. And I watched this happen and I realized, how come God, how come nobody's seeing this? And it was always the same thing. It was people getting familiar with what God had ordained. Because the minute you get familiar, now it's hard to receive from them. 
your brother could be a brain surgeon, but because of your familiarity with him, you probably would not want his advice. Your sister could be an entrepreneur that has made $20 million a year for the last 10 years. And if they started giving you financial advice, you would say, leave me alone. Because you are familiar. That's what sets Jesus apart. Name me one other man that his brother spoke of and died for like James did for his brother Jesus. There's something different about this kingdom where God takes imperfect people and he places a mantle on them. And when that mantle gets on them, the only way to access that is through honor. And the way to diminish it, not off of the person, but the way to diminish your access to it is through familiarity. Where all of a sudden, it becomes, you forget about the flood and the hundred years of building the ark and you just see the flesh in the tent. Listen, I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm talking about the anointing on your life too. I'm talking about why do you let everybody in your tent when all they want to do is see your flesh? Why, why is your, why do you let everybody in your tent when all they want to do is see your flesh? When there are some people that are sitting next to you and close to you that are available to you that in the, in the unusual event that you had a moment of flesh, instead of running out and talking about it, they would grab another prayer warrior, they would grab the garment of salvation, and they would walk backwards and they would put it back on you so that the rest of the world doesn't see you in a weak moment. I'm talking about keeping your faith in unstable times. You let a bunch of, you let a bunch of, uh, uh, tale tellers walk into your tent. You're going to have a bunch of tales told. It's kingdom or it's world. That's it. There's not an in between. So he says, he said he's angry at him. He said, why didn't you do this? You know, you're, you're God. You should have talked to your God like this. Then he continued to be angry. Verse 13, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, speaking to Naaman, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much rather then when he said to you, just wash and be clean? Do you remember the first time you heard the gospel? I mean, heard the gospel, not like just you knew it. I'm talking heard the gospel. And you realize it came down to this, wash and be clean. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I had to pray this prayer 700 times and go tell this man in a box all of my problems. Wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. There are other rivers. Of course there are other rivers. Go try them. But there is one way to the Father. That's why Naaman was so confused. He was like, there are other rivers. They are even prettier than the Jordan River. Remember the Bible says that Jesus wasn't all that much to look at. Here comes the king of the Jews. Wait, wait, wait. On a donkey? This doesn't make any sense to me. Wash and be clean. 
So we have complicated the gospel. Everybody wants a self-help book to make you feel better all the time. But the Bible literally says it has nothing to do with your feelings. Because when your emotions run high, your wisdom runs low. Wash and be clean. We want something spectacular. When God just wants change. Wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. Faith in unstable times. I did it again, God. What do I do? Wash and be clean. How many times did he tell him? Seven. Do you remember what the Bible says in the New Testament? The righteous fall seven times. But we get back up. Wash and be clean. Do not let the devil convince you this is monopoly and you don't pass go, you don't collect $200. When you miss it from God, it doesn't put you back at the starting point. It gives you the opportunity to stand up and keep walking by faith. Faith in unstable times. One more verse, maybe two. Go to Psalm chapter number one. Maybe three. Naaman, sir, if he would have told you to do something incredible, you would have done it. How come the man of God didn't come out and shout unto his God and wave his magic hand over my, over my skin? Why didn't he do that? Because you were looking for something spectacular instead of something supernatural. You're telling God how to do what only God can do. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If it had been a big thing, you would have done it. Naaman said, yeah, I guess I would have. Because the truth is, if you're going to keep faith in unstable times, you have to understand that simple obedience to the word of God greatly outweighs any sacrifice you can come up with later. Everybody say, back to basics. If you have a lack of faith, ask yourself this question honestly. How much of my Bible am I reading? How long, honest to God, did I pray today? And were my prayers just a list of my begging needs or were they prayers of faith? Faith in unstable times. What am I filling my ears with? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If I don't have faith, what am I filling my ears with? These are real questions that will take you to a Monday where by the time we get to Wednesday night or Sunday morning, morning, you are foaming at the mouth to get back in here to praise God for the stuff that he's brought you through. Instead of going through the week like a busted puppy. Oh, you know, just trial after trial after trial. I get that. But sooner or later, some victory ought to break out in your life. 
And victory comes when you stand in faith and refuse to get off of it under any circumstances. It just seems like it's getting worse. Great. Let it get worse for all I care. Nebuchadnezzar, turn the fire up. I'm not bowing. I'm talking about faith in unstable times. You think it's going to get better? I would be, I would be happy if it does, but I would be shocked if it does. Because the world wants the world. The enemy of God wants to be the enemy of God. The biggest challenge is we have children of God that don't want to be dissected as children of God. We want to be children of God that don't offend people in the world. We want to be children of God that can explain every single thing that happens. We want to be children of God that, that, that never have to worry about being called a weirdo. We want children of God that never want to be inconvenienced. We want children of God that never want to be insecure in a moment and still serve God. We want children of God that we want to be children of God that, that, that nothing unusual happens. Therefore, we can explain away everything and we can just ha- have, have the world's version of peace but go to heaven. If you want faith in an unstable time, you're going to have to get to the place where you start asking yourself some extremely challenging and direct questions. And if you got a husband or a wife, you ask them. You say, can you tell me something in my life that doesn't sound like faith? Because I want to sound like faith. Can you help me with that? Is there something in my life that offends you, that hurts you? Do I talk to you in some kind of way that makes you feel less than instead of making you feel like you are above only and not beneath? Because I want to change. How can I do it? Is there something I'm not seeing? You ask these questions, you will get answers and you'll have the opportunity to change it. If you will change, you will begin to walk on water walking faith that most people never touch. Psalm 1, blessed be the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. If they don't serve God, if they don't believe the Bible, I don't care what they think about Bible things. If they don't serve God, if they don't know the Word of God, if they don't value the Word of God above every single document ever rented, ever, ever printed, then what do we care what they think about our Bible? Forget about it. Forget about explaining all this stuff away to people that don't care anyway. All they want to do is debate you. There are people that will say yes to Jesus that you're wasting your time talking to somebody that just wants to debate you. Do you know how many times Jesus stopped and witnessed to the Pharisees? Because all they wanted to do is debate him. Yeah, but this, yeah, but that. Jesus like, yeah, but there's somebody over there that doesn't know I am an option yet. So we don't walk in the council. We don't take the counsel of the ungodly. Not arrogantly, but we know who we are. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That means let us say we are redeemed. We're the blood bought, the born again, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not backing off of it. And respectfully, we don't care what you think about our book. 
Don't stand in the way of sinners. This is how you keep your faith in unstable times. You don't take counsel from people that don't honor God and honor God's word. You don't stand in the way of sinners. Anybody ever seen one of these kind of signs like at a gas station or otherwise? It says no loitering. Loitering is like just standing around for no reason. That's what it's indicating here. Stop just standing around with sinners for no reason. Men of God and women of God, it does not say in the Bible, get as close as you can to temptation to see how strong you are. It says flee the appearance of evil. Because if the devil loses access to your soul, the next thing he wants to do is to keep you in repentance mode the rest of your life. Because while you are repenting for the sin and the vomit that you return to, you are not witnessing to anybody else. So if he can get you to sin, though it will not cost you your soul because your sin has been separated you as far as the east is from the west, what will happen is you will spend the rest of the week repenting for what you did again that you know you should not have done instead of spending the rest of the week witnessing to somebody that doesn't know him yet. This brother's playing chess. He ain't playing checkers. He's trying to get you three moves in advance. Because if he can get you stagnant, now all of a sudden he can stop your effectiveness. This is why he wants you to sin. Not because he thinks he's going to grab your soul again. Only you can do that. You can turn from God. Certainly. You can renounce God. Certainly you can do that. But the enemy wants you to be so caught up in repentance mode that you never get into evangelist mode. And now you're just all about you again. See? See how quick that happens? Well, I did this. I did that. I did this. Instead of he did that. He did that. He did that. So you don't loiter around in and amongst sin. If you're going... On a, on a strategic evangelistic effort that is, that is beautiful but don't just be sitting at the bar at 2 o'clock in the morning talking about yeah Jesus you know he had dinner with sinners yeah he had dinner with sinners that was cool but the whole time he was talking about the kingdom if you're sitting at the bar at 2 o'clock in the morning witnessing and talking about kingdom then I got nothing to say but if you're loitering with sinners sooner or later all I got to do is see your friends and I can see your future This is not like nobody gets out of this. So if you're going to have faith in unstable times, you you can't accept counsel with people that don't acknowledge the word of God as the ultimate truth. And number two, you can't just be loitering and standing around in the lifestyle that you used to have before you gave Jesus your life. That was an exchange. That was taking of his life and you giving of your life. So you're dragging his life into the sin that you were actually redeemed from when you loiter in sin. You ever heard this? It's a scripture. Idle hands at the devil's workshop. If you got nothing to do, you'll come up with something to do. And most of the time, it's not something you're going to be proud of. That's why the enemy wants you in that loitering mentality. Think about this. When, 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 when maybe, maybe not all of you, but this is, you know, Texas. So a lot of people, this is kind of their thing. You know, Friday, Saturday evening rolls around. Hey, let's barbecue something. Let's drink all day. 
Then we'll wake up Sunday and go to church. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. And that's the whole confusing, that's the whole confusion line that the enemy throws out there. And if you look at it, if you got redeemed and you're still doing the exact same stuff, the Bible says people will know you by the fruit that hangs off your tree, not by the inside of your heart, because the inside of your heart is God's business, not their business. So they will know you based off the fruit that they can see. So if you look like you used to look, still do what you used to do, still talk how you used to talk, and you never change the dialogue, how do they even know you're different? And how will they know that Jesus is actually a way maker if you never let him into the conversation? Because you're loitering around the exact same lifestyle that you had. You just now are going to go to heaven. And God forbid it ever happen on the same day of one of those friends. And you have to look over your shoulder as you're walking through the pearly gate. And see them have to turn around and go the other way. Because you were too embarrassed to say the name of Jesus around them. If you're going to keep faith in unstable times, you've got to stay aggressive about this thing. And you can't just be loitering around in sin. You can't just be loitering around with, with, with the idea of sin. Sin will make a fool of you publicly. And it will constantly condemn you privately until what little bit of faith, to what little bit of faith you had built up is overshadowed by your shame. And that's the devil's plan for every believer. To just get you running on the treadmill of repentance. I did it again. I did it again. I'm so sorry. 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 All the while, your friends and family have no idea that Jesus will set them free. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. This is how you keep your faith in unstable times. Number one, we're not taking counsel from people that don't believe the Bible is the ultimate truth when it comes to spiritual things. Number two, we're not going to loiter around in the sin that God delivered us from. Number three, it's the last point I'm going to make. We don't sit in the seat of the scornful. That's the scoffers. That's the offended. That's the always, always, always sarcastic. Can't get a straight answer. Can't have a conversation. Every single time somebody is brought up, there's a, I like them a lot, but. And then there's something said small, something said small, that would make you think less of the person that is being discussed. Do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Do not sit and, and perpetuate those conversations. Become a brick wall to those conversations. Do it as respectfully as you possibly can. But when somebody says something contrary to you about another believer... Rise up on the inside of who you are and say, well, in the name of Jesus Christ, I believe in God that that's not going to be the standard in their life. And if it keeps going and you have enough equity with that person, there's enough relational equity, then you ought to be bold enough to say, you know, I just don't want to talk about people. Well, you know how that church is. Well, 
I think they wave the banner of Jesus, and I'm not going to talk about uh, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. So I would rather just not. I would rather lose my relationship with you than I would offend God. Because if everybody knew the worst thing you'd ever done, If everybody knew the worst thoughts you ever had. See how this, how, how simple this gets when we just go to the word, we break it down, we talk about it line upon line, precept upon precept. This is how you keep your faith in unstable times. Because what the world wants is for the church to break apart. But what the kingdom needs is for the church to come together. We need 100% unity when it comes to Israel. He's the God of Israel, period. He is not not Allah, 100%. Allah is not even in the same category. He is the God of Israel, winning 100% unity. The other thing the church needs is 100% commitment to defend one another instead of eat our own. Do you remember when, when you got born again and, and, and maybe for you it was kind of radical and then some time goes by and then before you know it, you start weighing everybody based off of their actions while now you weigh yourself based off of your intentions? Well, I didn't mean it that way, so they shouldn't be hurt. When you were nasty and you just don't want to admit it, And then we weigh everybody else on their direct actions, regardless of did they have a good day or bad day. I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just saying, what if every time we saw flesh, it was an opportunity to cover it instead of talk about it? Wouldn't you want to be a part of that club? That's when revival hits and we can't keep the world out. Is when they find the church to really be a safe place place where sinners are welcomed where redemption is real where we maintain our faith in unstable times and we don't question we don't question our God when it comes to things he's already written about we just go to his word and decide he is correct this is when we see it happen I hope you enjoyed the podcast today If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.